We're continuing our series through the book of Daniel. And as we've said each week, Daniel, this Old Testament prophet um, who was brought into exile, uh, asked to live a faithful life as a blessing to those around him in a home that was not his home, this book is a, it's a field manual for us. It's a, it's a guide for us as we try to follow Jesus in the world today. Um, and we're in Daniel 9, and, uh, but before we get into our passage, I want to ask a question, an opening question for you guys. And the question is this, is there, any, is there such a thing as a bad prayer? Okay, is there such a thing as a bad prayer, yes or no? Uh, yes, that's, that's interesting. There's a lot of yeses right off the bat. Um, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to think of that. Um, I agree. I also disagree. So here's the thing. It's not so easy to answer, okay? So um, one of our kids, I won't say the name, but um, when he was two, we always pray before dinner, and, um, and so he always volunteered, okay? He was, yep, I'm in. So, he, he, but, so he'd, um, you know, fold his hands, close his eyes, go like this, look down, and then he'd look up and make sure everybody else was on track doing the same thing. And then he'd go back down, and he wouldn't say a thing, okay? And so Janet and I would get him started, and we'd say, Dear Jesus, and he'd repeat Jesus, and then he would be silent again. And then, uh, and then we would say, Thank you for, and he would look around and name the first thing he saw on the table. Applesauce, amen. Okay? That's prayer. So the prayer is literally, Jesus, applesauce, amen. And for a two-year-old... That's an amazing prayer, right? Like, that's a great prayer for a two-year-old. We want to cheer our kids on in prayer, encourage them. But at the, on the other hand, I hope that when they're 12 or 42 or 72, their prayer life has advanced a little bit beyond Jesus' applesauce. Amen. All right? So on the one hand, we want to say all sincere prayers are good prayers. All honest prayers, stumbling prayers are good prayers. On the other hand, we know bad prayers when we hear them. As you remember from the instant classic film, Talladega Nights, Will Ferrell's character, Ricky Bobby, prays before dinner one night. Let me just repeat to you his prayer. Ready? Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant and so cuddly, but still omnipotent. (laughs) We just thank you for all the races that we've won and the $21.2 million, love that money, that I've accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious and it cools you off on a hot summer day and we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. Okay, that scene is funny, and it's just cringy, isn't it? It's just, like, cringeworthy, and this is what they're doing. They're playing on our own fears that we are bad at prayer, right? It's funny and it's cringy because they're playing on the fear that we have that, man, if we get asked to pray in front of people, what in the world's going to come out of my mouth, right? 85% of Americans say they pray regularly. Prayer is really, really common in our country, and even in our world, but if your prayer life is anything like mine, you can be easily distracted. Uh, you often don't know what to say when called upon, uh, and it, you find it hard to, to maintain any discipline, any focus, or any regular praying habits. So if you wish you could be better at prayer, what should we do? Uh, how should we proceed? How do we make our praying life sing? 
How do we move prayer from being a duty that we know we should do to a delight that we run to by instinct? This morning, as we consider Daniel 9, we actually are going to come to a rich, beautiful prayer. One of, the, one of the best prayers in the Bible, really. And I think it's a helpful guide, a school of prayer for us as well. Remember, this is a guidebook. This is a field manual for people trying to follow Jesus in our world today. And Daniel was a man of prayer. He flourished because he prayed. And this is the, this is the way he prayed. So I'm going to read um, the beginning of chapter 9, and then we're going to look at this together for a few minutes. So this is Daniel 9, verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you've driven them, because of the treachery that they've committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we've rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Israel. It's quite a claim. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come, come upon us, and yet we've not entreated the favor of our Lord, our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he's done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned and we've done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because... For our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. 
Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our own righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Let me just pray for our prayer that we're going to look at real quick, and then we'll jump into this sermon. Heavenly Father, we do ask that as we consider these words from Daniel, this prayer of his heart and his soul on behalf of his people as they were living in a foreign land trying to follow you, that it would be a guide for us, a school of prayer. Help us become prayers like him. Help us um, long to go to you, Jesus, and and, um, take great delight in communicating with you. Um, Yeah, help us as we go through this passage now. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, just two things I want us to see from this prayer from Daniel. Uh, The basis of prayer and then the basics of prayer, okay? So the basis of prayer in the first three verses there. We know that Daniel was a man of deep prayer. We know this because a couple chapters ago in Daniel 6, um, Daniel was thrown into a pit of lions. uh, And he was thrown in there because he was a prayer, okay? Uh, He prayed three times a day, every day facing out of his window towards Jerusalem. And when men conspired to have him killed by creating a 30-day ban on prayer, he could have moved five feet to his right or his left and been outside of the view of that window and prayed in private and never would have been confronted, never would have been thrown to the lions. Uh, But instead, Daniel prayed as he had always prayed. Okay, and this is how he did it. He, he prayed three times a day facing the city that God had made promises to as a physical reminder of all that God had, had promised him. So after nearly 70 years of this habit, he wasn't about to change his habits because of the small ambitions of small men. And so he just kept praying. And they threw him to the lions, and it turns out the den of lions was a den of angels. And we talked about that one in Daniel 6. And if you want to listen to that sermon, all of our stuff is online. But Daniel 9 is an insight into the sort of praying life that this man had that sustained him over 70 years of faith and following God. So the first thing to ask is, where did he learn to pray like this? Passionate, zealous, uh, kind of intimate communication with God. And the answer is right there in verse 2. Uh, we see that the basis of his prayers was that he was reading the Bible. Okay, so we learn there in verse two that Daniel was having his quiet time that morning in the prophet Jeremiah, and he came upon a promise of God that stirred his soul and his imagination and his zeal were were aroused. His sin was exposed. He was driven to his knees in prayer. We can't be sure, but it's really likely just based on what it says here that he was reading in Jeremiah 29, where God promises his people they won't be in exile forever. We read, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, to your home. So Daniel's reading in his quiet time and he seizes on this promise from God, this faithful word from God and to him. And he prayed passionately in response to it. He prayed that that promise would come true. God's words to Daniel fueled Daniel's words back to God. 
Throughout this long prayer, Daniel refers to God's word as his covenant, his commandments, his precepts, his judgments, the voice of the Lord, God's own words. You can almost say the whole content of Daniel's prayer hangs on the words that God first spoke to him. And what I think this does is points us to the very definition of what prayer is. Um, I mean, what are we even doing when we pray? When I ask my kids to fold their hands and bow their heads around the dinner table, like, what are we doing? What is this thing? It's, we're entering into a conversation. Prayer is a conversation with the living God. We're communicating with him. We're investing in a personal relationship with him by talking to him. Prayer is our talk responding to God's talk to us. Prayer is answering speech, okay? So um, in his book on prayer, Tim Keller quotes Eugene Peterson, who writes this. Language is spoken to us. We learn language only as we're spoken to. So we're plunged at birth into a sea of language. Then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer, to talk for ourselves. We learn mama, papa, bottle, blanket, yes, no. Not one of these words is a first word. All speech is answering speech. We're spoken to before we spoke, and in prayer, we're responding to the overwhelming previousness of God's speech to ours. So Keller goes on to comment, this means that our prayers should arise out of an immersion in the scripture. We should plunge ourselves into the sea of God's language, the Bible. We should listen, study, think, reflect, and ponder the scripture until there's an answering response in our hearts and in our souls. Um, So I don't want to be sacrilegious here, but um, prayer is very near, very close to bringing God to court for a lawsuit. Okay. Now, a lawsuit, lawyers, plug your ears, but a lawsuit in the non-technical terms that I understand it um, is when one party demands from another party that they hold up their end of the deal. Okay? We're, we're demanding that someone else make good on their promise, keep their word. And Daniel is seizing on God's promises here. God speaks to him first. Daniel seizes on his promises, and then that drives his communication back to God. His prayers back to God are basically him saying to God, but you said, right? But you said so. And so maybe the better illustration here is when our children are actually listening to us and they hold us to our words, but you said there'd be ice cream after dinner, Dad. I said that three weeks ago in a whisper, but you remember that part, right? And you can't like fall, never mind. Um, It's us saying to God, but you said. Um, And this is beautiful, gospel-trusting, grace-receiving prayer. There's an old Puritan pastor named Thomas Goodwin who put it like this, sue him for it. Sue God for it. Do, Do not leave him alone. Pester him, as it were, with his own promises. Quote the scripture to him. And you know, God delights to hear us doing it. As fathers like to see this element in their own children who has obviously been listening to what his father has been saying. Prayer is answering speech back to God. It's it's the way we communicate with him. Um, It's not necessarily that you can have bad prayers, but you can always grow in your praying life by responding in, in bigger and wider ways to the huge promises that God has already poured out to us through Jesus. So, for example, in Romans 8, we, we read, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So 
when we ever feel guilty or we ever feel ashamed or we ever feel needy or broken, we go to God and we pray like this. God, you said that you would forgive anything that, is ever, that I've ever done and ever thought, that there's now no condemnation for me. Remove my sin as far as the east is from the west. That's answering speech to God. He gave us the words to pray back to him. Or, God, you said you would complete what you started in me. Hold him to it, right? Demand that he gives us spiritual growth and wisdom and character and a growing love for other people above ourselves. Demand from him that um, he gives us patience and humility. God promises to give us peace that transcends the peace of this world in John 14, to work all things for the good of those he loves in Romans 8, to comfort you while, while you're in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23, to bring a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no tears and no sorrow. God, you said, is how we pray the words of God back to God. Here's Eugene Peterson again. Left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or the part of God that we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and to everything he speaks to us. So there's a difference between praying to an unknown God who we hope to discover in our praying and praying to a known God revealed through Israel and Jesus Christ who speaks our language In the first, we indulge our own appetite for religious fulfillment. In the second, we practice obedient faith. The first is a lot more fun. The second, a lot more important. And he says, what is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer the real God who's talking to us. So what does answering God look like? If that's the the basis of our prayer, if if our prayers are answering speech back to God... um, What do the basics of that conversation look like? And here, I think, is where Daniel's prayer is such a great guide for us as we pray or want to grow in our own praying life. Um, We don't have have time to unpack the whole thing, of course, um, but I'd actually encourage you, if you have time this week, to go back through this prayer and maybe even use it as like a, a model for your own prayer. You know, pray your own life through Daniel's prayer um, because I really think it is a great model. Um, Three themes that rise to the surface, three lines of communication, so to speak. First, responding to God's words with his own words drives Daniel to praise, all right? Verse four, the first words out of his mouth in his prayer, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He starts by naming the truth about God's greatness. Verse seven, he says, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Like God, God owns everything right about the world. Um, verse nine, to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. He owns those things. Those flow from his character. Verse 14, the Lord is righteous in all the works that he does. See, he's going through and he's naming out loud all the great things that God has done for him, for his people, and in the world. The first thing, I mean, this just makes sense sort of logically. The first thing that we should do when God speaks directly to us, I mean, who are we that God should speak to us? The first thing we should do when God speaks to us is just stand back and say, wow. Like, he chose to initiate a conversation 
with me. The God of everything, the God of the cosmos, chose me to start a conversation with. He made the first call, and we said hello. He wants to chat personally, intimately with you, and that just reserves a pause and a moment of praise and, and honor to God. The next thing we see in Daniel's prayer is repentance. He, uh, he compares the righteousness of God with uh, the open shame of God's people, verse 7 and 8. He says that we've committed treachery against God, uh, rebelled against him, verse 9, refusing to obey his voice, verse 11. Um, he sums it up in verse 15, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. Now, when we get to this um, this, this part of the syllabus in the school of prayer, um, we might stand back and think, okay, hold on. Um, if that's what real prayer looks like, no thanks. You see, that, that part's a bit depressing, isn't it? I mean, I have to confess shame. I have to admit to treachery and rebellion, and I have to call myself wicked to take my prayer life to the next level. Am I sure I want to sign up for that? Um, well, yes, that is what we have to do. But let me show you why that is actually such a life-giving and freeing way to pray. The grace of Jesus, all that he accomplished on the cross in his death and in his resurrection for us, it, it already applies, okay? If, if we look to him in faith, it already applies to everything in our life. All we have done, the, all we are doing, all that we ever will do, the stuff we know about, and the stuff we don't even know about, okay? Those parts of our heart that are sort of buried in there. Um, His loving forgiveness has already covered and already applied and is already beginning to heal everything that's broken about our lives. Um, And so in one way then, digging it up, sort of um, treating your heart like like an excavation project, like an archaeological dig, let's see what we find buried down there, right? As we start to dig it up, uncovering layers of pride or anger or lust or fear, whatever's buried down there, these aren't occasions anymore for embarrassment, right? Or disappointment, because in the gospel of Jesus and only in the gospel of Jesus, discovering more sin in our lives is actually an occasion for gratefulness. It's an occasion for joy because, let's be honest, he already knows about it. We're the ones that don't know about it, right? He already knows about it, and his blood has already covered it and been applied to it. And so as we find it, it's like we find this broken thing, but it's already beginning to be healed by him, and we get to hold it up and say, he has, he's already at work here. Before I even got here, Jesus is at work here, and that's a chance to look again with Jesus in awe, with thankfulness, with gratefulness, to receive his mercy again, and another chance to to recommit ourselves to live as he's called us to live. Um, And this, by the way, like I mentioned earlier, is this is why we do a confession of sin and repentance every week and assurance of pardon every week at church, um, because this is actually how we grow in our delight of what God has done for us. We exhale our brokenness. We inhale his love. Um, Repentance is not a burden in the Christian life. It's just breathing, okay? It's just how we stay alive and look to God over and over again. Daniel's prayer is a prayer of praise. It's a prayer of repentance. And finally, it's a prayer of requests. He brings his cares and his needs to God. 
Um, in verse 16, he finally gets around to asking God for something. Okay, he started this prayer in verse 4. Finally gets around to asking God for something in verse 16. He says, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city. Now, this is instructive for me because I don't know if you're anything like me, but my prayer habits are pretty scattered and pretty random, okay? So I'll be biking home from work maybe, and I'll think of something I uh, uh, said or a conversation I had with someone, and like I start praying for them, right? Or I'll be driving my car, I'll see a friend, and maybe throw one up to God for that person, you know? Like there's sort of this stream of consciousness, like ongoing praying, and, and it's good in one sense, like it's an ongoing conversation with God. It's also just all over the map, right? And totally random and... Um, about 98% of it is me asking God for things. It's, it's my requests. It's my needs. I mean, I pray, um, I pray for faithfulness and clarity as I prepare these sermons. I pray for wisdom and guidance as, as me and the elders and the other leadership lead this church. But most of it is me asking God for things. And again, nothing wrong with that, okay? Paul Miller, in his book on prayer, writes, Children are supremely competent in their parents' love and power. Instinctively, they trust them. They believe their parents want to do them good. And if you know your parent loves and protects you, it fills your world with possibility, and you just chatter away with what's ever on your heart. Now, anyone here with small kids knows that is true. There is an endless chatter in your home. That's actually a sign your children trust you and love you and feel safe in your home, but he compares that to the way we talk to God. If we feel safe with God, we'll just chatter away about whatever's on our mind, okay? So that's that's a good thing. It's a good thing to chatter away to God, but it um, it does largely revolve around the things that I think I need most of the time, Um, but what Daniel does is very different. What Daniel does is he front loads his prayer with praise to God and and repentance, and he looks again to God's promises. So by by the time he gets to asking for things, everything has sort of been reoriented and reframed around a God-centered view of life instead of a Daniel-centered view of life. So by by the end of the prayer, he's saying things like, listen to the prayer of your servant. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary. Even his requests are God-oriented. Incline your ear, open your eyes and see. And he asks for all of these things in verse uh, 17 and then 19, for your own sake, O Lord. See, he still has a list of needs and requests, just like all of us do. And he asks for them, but by now they've been framed around making God famous, not himself and giving glory to God and not himself. Daniel's prayer is this praising, repenting, requesting talk to God that is all based on God's talk to him first. Prayer is holding God to his word. So as we wrap this up, what what do we do with this? That is Daniel's praying life. How can we take this? What, what sort of gifts are there for us here that we can take, put in our backpack as we journey through this life trying to follow Jesus? How can we become people of prayer like Daniel? Just two quick things I want to mention. And the first is um, try meditating. Okay? Now, um, this is, uh, we got to be careful how we talk about this because biblical meditation is very different than Eastern kind of religious meditation. 
Eastern meditation, um, the, the goal is to empty ourselves, to clear our mind, to, to reach sort of a place where we're empty on the inside. Biblical meditation is almost the exact opposite. It says, fill up your whole head and fill up your whole heart with the words that God has already spoken to you. So the way you, we do this is pick a small piece of scripture and just like gnaw on it for a long time. Just chew on it, okay? And ask as many different questions about it as you can. Ask, what can I learn here? Is there an example to follow? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a command to obey? What has God given me here to be thankful for? How have I failed to believe his promises? What can I ask forgiveness for here? Um, and then asking for our own needs in light of this passage. So, so biblical meditation, is a, it's like a deep dive into a small section of God's words. And what it does is it helps us bridge that gap between God's words to us and our words back to him. It's the transition between God talking and us talking. It turns us from Bible to prayer. So meditating on God's word. And then finally, expect God to be at work. Um, Have you ever wondered why we should pray at all? This is such a great question. I mean, if God's in charge of everything and whatever's going to happen out there is going to happen, then why should we spend any of our time asking him, telling him, requesting him, you know, giving him our two cents on the situation? Like, this is how I'm seeing it happen. Like, why pray? God, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. God's in charge. He's good. He'd do a better job of it than any of us can anyway. Why spend any of our time, which is probably our most precious resource, why spend that praying? Why not get out there and do some stuff instead? Um, C.S. Lewis was asked this question once, and he wrote this. The efficacy of prayer, the reason it matters, the reason it works, is no more of a problem than the efficacy of all human acts. So he says, uh, for example, if you say it's useless to pray because God already knows what's best and will certainly do it, then why is it not equally useless and for the same exact reason to try to alter the course of events in your life or in anyone else's whatsoever? See what he's saying? He's saying we work for a better world in all kinds of ways. We eat healthy to live longer. We invest in relationships so that we can have um, a community. We um, study so we can get smarter. All of these things, we're trying to change the world for the better, and they seem totally normal to us. But then by the time we get to prayer, it seems a little bit disconnected. And yet, in God's word, the thing that he says is the most effective way for us to extend his kingdom, change the world, is to pray. In James 5, he says, the prayer of a righteous person is not only powerful, it's effective. It changes the world. I mean, that's an amazing thing. According to God's plan, his children, those who speak his language back to him, who pray in the name of the Spirit, in the name of the Son, are given the honor of participating in God's world, changing God's world through our prayer life. Why would we pray if God's in control of all things? Why wouldn't we pray if God's in control of all things, right? Our prayers reveal that we believe he's not only um, powerful enough to act, but he's concerned enough about you, about your friends, your family, the state of this world, and that he's loving enough, he's sovereign enough to enter in to this world and work for its good. 
it can feel unproductive, I admit. There are many, many urgent things in this world to do. I admit that as well. And unless the God of the Bible is real and his promises are real, it really is totally unproductive. But if God is real, if his word is true, if these promises are good into eternity, and if he's told us that the prayers of his own people, speaking his words back to him, actually change the world, then this is home base for Christians. I mean, this is where the action happens. This is how God tells us he's going to change the world. We can pray with great expectation. We can pray trusting that God is at work even in the simplest, um, feeblest efforts that we have as we chatter away to him throughout our day because we can trust that he is a loving father who loves the voice of his kids, wants to hear from us, and promises that our words, in some mysterious way, actually change the world. I don't know how it works. I just know it's true, because God said it's true. So that is our call to prayer. That is Daniel's school of prayer. And um, just like everything in the Bible, this is, this is a gift. This is an opportunity for us to know God, to communicate with God, and to actually extend the mission of God in the world, because he is at work in our prayers. So let's pray now as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you for Daniel, this man of deep prayer. I pray that we would look to him as an example, but ultimately we would look where he was looking while he prayed, and that is to your word and to the great promises that you give us there. Thank you for pouring out the riches of heaven and and committing to us, your people, that you will always be for us, that you will forgive us, that you will bring us into your family, that you will make all things right, and that our feeble prayers actually connect to the story, the work that you're doing in this world. Help us become people of prayer. Help us become a church of prayer. And may our prayers go out from here and um, reflect your love and uh, your grace for this valley and beyond. We ask these things in your name.